Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be hearing this. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to today's broadcast, episode 277 of our Bible Bites program, where we continue reading through the scriptures this year. In today's episode, we are reading in Matthew chapter 7 and 8. And so I want to speak about these verses just a little bit. First of all, the first section here is in not being judgmental or critical about other people. Um, it says in here, judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So we've got to be very careful and very cautious not to be judgmental toward other people, not to be condemning and belittling. It's really true. We don't know someone's heart, and we do not know what they're going through. So things can be much different than they may appear. And sometimes we may think that things are one way, and in reality, in the heart of the matter, it's much different than we think. And God is the one and the only one who truly knows the heart of all men. So he is the only one who can thoroughly and righteously judge any person or any situation. And we must remember that. So God does not want us to be judgmental, critical, and condemning of other people. Matter of fact, he says here, he talks about getting a, uh, you know, a splinter out of somebody else's eye when you've got a whole beam or a plank sticking out of your own. And he, he uses that illustration to mean that we've got to get our hearts right first. Yes, do we, are we supposed to care about our brothers and sisters in the Lord? And is there times maybe to speak into their life a, a corrective word or a word of encouragement or a word of instruction or wisdom? Oh, yes, definitely. But what he's saying here, he's not saying that we can't do that. He's saying first remove, you know, your own plank and then you can see clearly from the Lord and you will have a clear conscience and things will be right with you and God. And God can then reveal to you clearly how to help your brother in a spirit of love and humility. Because in other places, it says to speak the truth in love. So yes, we are to care for one another, but we are not to be judgmental and critical. And we are to make sure that our heart is right before we go trying to speak to anybody else. In verse 6, he makes plain here, this comes right on the heels of that discussion. And what he's saying here in verse 6 about not casting our pearls before swine, he's talking about the holy things of God. Don't just um, be uncautious with those. Don't, don't be careless. Don't just throw them out there to anybody and everybody because not everybody's going to receive those words. He's saying the holy, precious words of God make sure that the person is receptive to that. Part of that is our own heart and our delivery, and part of it is the discernment about the other person as well. So he's just saying to invest in people the right way, um, but to you know make sure that we help people who will listen and who will obey, who will hear the word and then move on. 
In verse 7, he says to ask and it will be given. Uh, Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. These words in the Greek mean to ask and keep on asking. To seek and keep on seeking. It's, it's something to knock and to keep on knocking. So it's not something that we do just one time and it's going to happen. We've got to keep on and not weary down and not get um, burdened by it. But to keep on keeping on. Verse 9 through 11 shows the beauty and graciousness of God. Talks about how if somebody asks their daddy, you know, for a piece of bread, he's not going to give them a stone to eat. You know, a good father will never do that. Um, a, you know, asking him for a fish and he's not going to give him a, a snake or a cobra to eat. You know, that's not a good father. And so then he goes on in verse 11. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So he's just saying that, you know, we being human in a fallen sinful condition, and yet we have enough of God's image in us to know that that is not right, and we care and we love because God has put that in us. How much more the God of love who knows nothing but love, and there's not a, an impure or, or hateful bone in his body, so to speak, even though he doesn't have a body like we do. It's just a, a, uh, an expression to illustrate that he has none of that in him. He is only full of love and good deeds and good things. In verse 12, he gives us basically the summary of all of the law and prophets summed up right here. He says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, this is the intent of them. This, what we might call the golden rule. He goes on and he talks about the narrow lifestyle of a Christian. I find it interesting that through the Gospels, you will see Jesus does not point, or I mean, I'm sorry, Jesus does not paint a rosy picture. He's going to be truthful. He'll tell you it's not going to be easy. It's a narrow road and it's difficult at times, but the end is worth it. It will lead you to life. There's going to be discipline. There's going to be things along the way that are going to be Hard to swallow sometimes, difficult to walk through, but the end result, you've got to keep your eye on the goal. You know, um, people that would run races, perhaps marathons, or, or people that train for the Olympics and those kinds of things, they have to buffet their body. They have to, to ignore some of the hard things that they have to go through. Why? Because they have an end goal in mind. They see the prize. They see the finish line. They see that gold medal or whatever, and that's what they're striving for. And so it's like that with the Christian walk. It's not a piece of cake, and it's not always easy. But Jesus is saying here, it's worth it in the end, because it will lead you to life. In verse 15 and beyond, he begins to talk about false prophets and how we must be very careful because they will use church ease, so to speak. They will speak Christian ease. They will talk right. They'll come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 
there's a lot of people today, there's a lot of deception that's going on. And we must be careful. We must be very careful to make sure that we are judging people by the word of God, judging these ministries and other things that are voices out there by the word of God. John tells us in another place to test every spirit and we test it by the word of God. We test it. Does it match up with the word and does it match up with the nature of God? Is there a witness of the Holy Spirit or is there a check inside that says "Hmm, something's not right? Something's not right here. We have to have discernment and be watchful. We need to be true disciples. Jesus begins in verse 21, and he speaks of of some others that he's contrasting here in that same section, same kind of idea. He keeps saying, you know, there's going to be some that come and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and that in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we work miracles in your name? And beloved, that is scary because there's lots of people out there today claiming that they've got prophecy words all over the place and people that may, you know, be casting out demons or doing great things that we might think are miracles. And we've got to be careful. We've got to test every spirit. We've got to have that discernment from the Spirit of God. The very first warning, and we'll get to it in the Gospels, that Jesus gives about the last days that we are all living in. He says this, do not be deceived. Watch out, take care, take heed that you are not deceived. So there is much deception. And he gets to the root of it here, the root of the problem with those that will that will not be Um, accepted those that say, well, didn't we do all of this in your name? And he says, I will cast them out. Uh, He says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, you got to understand the connection here. He's saying, yeah, all these people said that they were, that I was their Lord. Oh, they claimed I was their Lord. They, they professed me as Jesus Christ, the Lord. And they did all these great things, but they never knew me. They were never submitted to my Lordship. Rather, they practiced lawlessness. They wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to make their own name. They wanted to do it their way. They wouldn't submit to the authority of my word. They wouldn't submit to the authority of my Lordship. And then he goes on. And he continues this same theme when he talks about the two different kinds of people relating them to two different houses. He goes on and he says there's going to be a wise man. He'll build his house on a rock. And when the storms come, it stands. And there'll be a foolish man and he builds his house on the sand. And when the storms come, it doesn't stand. It falls and great is its fall. It's all talking about that whole thing. And he tells us clearly here, we don't have to guess. He tells us clearly that those who are wise that build on the rock are those that hear his words 
and obey them. They are submitted to his lordship. Therefore, they know him as Savior and Lord. They have an intimate relationship with him, and they're living a life of obedience. And the foolish people are those that hear the word. Now, notice they hear the word, but they do not obey it. They do not submit to his lordship. So, beloved, it's important for us to understand and know God's word, yes, but we've got to do more than just hear it. We'll read later in the book of James where he talks about those that are hearers only versus hearers and doers. The hearers only deceive themselves. They think they've got it all right, but they don't. We've got to live a life of obedience. So all in this chapter, he's speaking about obedience Choosing the narrow way versus the wide way and living a lifestyle that where you are hearing the word and obeying it, submitted to his lordship and to the authority of his word. As a matter of fact, he, uh, we, we see Matthew really honing in on Jesus' authority beginning in the last verse of, uh, last two verses of chapter 7 and continuing all through chapter 8. Chapter 7, verse 28. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, his words carried weight to them and the people recognized it. They knew that he was not just giving them some textbook teaching out of some book that meant nothing to him, but that it was real to him and coming forth from his mouth, it became real to them. And there was an authority behind the word. He goes on, Matthew goes on with this authority of Jesus all through chapter eight. He points out in the first part of that, that Jesus has authority to heal leprosy. First thing he comes to, this leper comes to him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Oh, Jesus is willing. He wants to make us whole, especially when we come to him in faith. It's faith that moves the heart of God, not need. It's faith that moves the heart of God. And so Jesus came to, uh, he came to Jesus. Jesus put his hand out, touched him, cleansed him, and immediately the leprosy was gone. And then Jesus noticed, he told, he told him, he said, don't go bragging about it. Don't go boasting about it all over the place. Just go back to the priest and do exactly what the word of God told you to do back in the Torah. And I, I love this because Jesus had already told us he's not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now, after Jesus' death, things are a little bit different in the sense of what we do or don't do as Gentile believers and as free in Christ. However, prior to his death, he was definitely still in that mode and under the law. And even after his death, he only fulfilled the part that pointed to his death that, that were fulfilled there and that didn't carry on. In other words, for instance, even after the death on the cross, it's still wrong to steal. It's still wrong to commit adultery. It's still wrong to lie. 
those things were not done away with because of the cross. What was done away with by the cross, by the cross, were the things that pointed to the cross, the sacrificial system and so forth. And we'll find that when we get to the book of Hebrews. So Jesus still is in honor of his father's word in the Torah. In verse 5 through 13, we see that he has authority to heal other, other things. It's not just leprosy. He has the authority to heal anything, and he still can heal today. So here he's got a centurion who was not of the Jewish faith necessarily, most likely not, was a Gentile. And a centurion comes, tells him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. Notice what the centurion tells him. He says, oh, no, Lord, I am not worthy for you to enter my house. Your presence is so holy and you are so exalted. I'm not worthy to have you come to my little home. And his home probably wasn't a little nothing. It was probably something that was fairly luxurious. But he says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you come to my house but notice this, he says, but only speak a word. All you got to do is issue the command from your mouth because it will be done. You hold that authority. He recognized the authority that was in Jesus because he knew it. Uh, he knew authority. He says that. He says, I'm, I'm one you know, under authority too. And I have authority. And I tell one of my servants, go do this. And it gets done. No questions asked. And he says, I tell another one, you know, come here. And he, he, it gets done. I mean, whatever he wants done, all he has to do is issue the command. That's what he's telling Jesus here. He says, all you have to do, because you're the one who holds the authority to make sure it's done, issue the word and my servant will be healed. Hallelujah. And so Jesus picks up on that. And he says, he says in verse 10, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And then he goes on and he starts talking about many coming from the east and the west and sitting with the, fa the, with the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven and the sons of the kingdom being cast out. What's that all about? What he's saying is, he's saying it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. If you have that kind of faith, you are in my kingdom. You are in my family. He's talking about Gentiles even with that kind of faith that will be sitting down with the, um, with the fathers of the faith in the kingdom of God. And so he calls this great faith. It's great faith when we recognize that Jesus has the authority to do and to bring to pass whatever he speaks, it will be done. Hallelujah. In verse 14 and 15, he has authority over fever and sickness. In 16 and 17, over other physical sicknesses and demonic activity and demons. In verse 18 through 22, he speaks about the cost of discipleship here again. He has people that come to him. There's two different people that come to him. One's a scribe, and he says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, Oh, really? 
Well, I don't even have a place to lay my head. You sure you want to do that? It's not going to be a life of comfort. You've got to count the cost. Jesus always taught his disciples and spoke and said, count the cost. Because being my disciple will be worth it in the end. But it's not going to be an easy piece of cake in the, in, the, in the getting there, in the progressive and living it out. It's going to be tough sometimes. And he says, you know, you got to be willing to leave your comfort zone. you got to be willing to accept the fact that it ain't going to be a life of comfort for you. Then somebody else comes to him and says, Lord, I want to follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. Now, a lot of people don't understand this because we tend to look at that from a Western mind. And some of us think in the Western world, in America and other places in the West, you know, we, we lose a family member and we grieve over them and all of that. And then there are plans for their funeral and so forth. And it might be three or four days before that person is buried. And, and uh, you know, during that time we visit, we visit, we might see the family, see the casket, whatever. And then we go and we bury the dead. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This man's father has not just died and he's still in this deep mourning, deep grieving person, He, uh, period. He's not telling somebody that's just lost a family member, come right now and follow me. In that custom, in the Jewish um, customs of that day, there was an immediate burial. As a matter of fact, the Torah demanded that as much as possible they bury that same day. And my understanding is I believe the Jews still try to adhere to that. So there was a burial, an initial burial that day. But then there would be a one-year waiting period after that where they would, they would wait and allow the, the body to completely deteriorate, deteriorate down to nothing but bones. And then they would take and go after the year and open up that grave, collect the bones, put them into an ossuary. And that was the burial custom of that day. It's within that year's time period that Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that let someone else, let other members of your family get the bones and put them into the ossuary at the year anniversary. You don't postpone coming to me. There's an urgency. There's an expediency. You come and follow me now. So that's what he was saying. In these two examples, he was dealing with the fact that following him does not always mean that we're going to have a life of comfort. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to mean the opposite. There's a loss of comfort in some ways. And there's immediacy. When he calls us, we don't need to delay. We need to answer that call. He continues, Matthew continues on with Jesus' authority. Verse 23 through 27, his authority over nature and demonic powers because this storm that immediately came up was a great tempest. It was something that was of a demonic origin. It was not just nature, but Jesus came and he dealt with that and he had authority over that and brought calm. He had, and he rebuked the disciples because of their lack of faith. Because if you look back in verse 18, he had already told them and given them the commandment, they were going to the other side. So Jesus knew that's why he went down and went to sleep. He knew they were going to make it to the other side. It was the devil trying to stop him. And the reason is because when they got to the other side, we see Jesus' authority over demons. 
and how he freed a demon-possessed, or the Bible says here, two demon-possessed men and set them free. And that's when the uh, demons came out. Notice in verse 29, and suddenly these are the demons speaking. They cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? First of all, let's look at this because first of all, we see that the demons know exactly who Jesus is. They know he is the son of God and the demons know their end. They know that there's a time appointed when they will be in utter torment permanently. And so they mention that to him. And Jesus then, you know, gives them permission to go into this herd of swine. And notice that the people, instead, when they come out against him, they come out, the, they, the owners of the swine go back to the city, tell them all about it, including about the men that were set free from the demon possession. And the people of the city come out and force him to go away. Instead of rejoicing over the fact that this person that had been tormented for years and years and years was now set free, instead of rejoicing with the men that were set free, they jumped on him because they lost their income. It was about money. And it's a sad thing. That is a very sad thing to run Jesus out instead of rejoicing over the healing that he had done for them. Hallelujah. These chapters show us many important things, and they stress to us Jesus' authority. He is not only Savior, but he is also Lord. He's Lord of our lives, and he has authority over us when we become his disciples and he's Lord over nature, he's Lord over sickness, he's Lord over the demonic realm. He is Lord, period, over everything. What a comfort for his people to remember his authority. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. I pray this has been a blessing to you today and that you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you.